welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Schuland. And this week we are covering book five of the Chronicles of Narnia, which is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I'm pretty sure this is my favorite, not my favorite, my sister's favorite book in the series. And, like, I can't believe we finished this one because that means we only have two more. And the last two books in the series have always felt like the ending to me. Like, how are we already there? I know, it is kind of crazy. I feel like that we've been blowing through these books. I mean, they're all relatively short, but it is crazy that we're already over halfway done and very close to finishing. But for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. I've never read any of the Chronicles of Narnia, and I'm sure you can tell that Charles has read all of them many times, so he is the one rereading this time. And I'm interested to see how you feel about this one, since the last book definitely took a turn up for you. So hopefully this one just continued up on that trajectory. Well, we shall see, and we also haven't had any chance to pre-discuss this book because Charles is still out of town on a work trip, so honestly, he'll probably ruin the audio that I have to edit, so apologies in advance for that, but I'm going to go ahead and summarize, and then I'll give you all my impression before we dive in. So for the plot, we have Lucy, Edmund, and their cousin Eustace. They get sucked into a painting of a Narnian ship. Eustace is a total pain and terror throughout the story, or the first half, and they are on a boat with Caspian, Reepicheep, and a bunch of Narnians. They are sailing the Great Eastern Sea to discuss what's past the Lone Islands and what happened to the Seven Lords, who are Caspian's dad's friends. They discover a bunch of islands, Eustace becomes a better person, and eventually they make it to the end of the Narnian world. And that's pretty much it, and for my impression... So this is the longest one we've read so far, and I don't know if this one was my favorite, because I know I said the last one, Prince Caspian, had been my favorite, but I think this might have surpassed Prince Caspian, because I really liked the like trajectory of this one, of how they were going to different places and experiencing different adventures. Like To me, this was probably the most exciting one to read, but I will say, though, as we are continuing to read the series, I am starting to find Aslan more and more annoying, and I'll get more into that later. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I've, I've, I know exactly where you're going to feel it, and I probably will agree. My impression was just that this book is so fun. Like, I think this story is more enjoyable than others. The plot is it's, it's kind of like a fun plot. I don't know. Maybe it's... I also feel like this part, I mean, I love Edmund and Lucy, and like you said, we know them by now, so we're kind of sticking with characters. Also, what I like about it is that it doesn't feel like they're doing nothing, and then Aslan shows up and all's well, which is kind of how I feel with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian. Like, I really enjoy those, but then, you know, it's kind of like we're chilling out, and then Aslan shows up, and boom, everything's magic again. But it's maybe why I like this one and The Horse and His Boy, and I'm really going to like the next book. 
because I feel like it's actually the characters doing things rather than Aslan being like, ta-da, I've solved the problem. I would say he solved pretty much every problem in this book. I don't think they were doing nothing. I think they kind of got into trouble and then they would pray to Aslan and he would save them. Yeah, but I'm saying like in like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're not fighters. Like they literally show up and they meet up with Aslan and then he kills the witch for them. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Well, anyway, let's dive in. So like Asia said, Eustace is the Pevensey's cousin. They're in his house and there's a painting of a Narnian ship which comes alive. They go into the painting, and Caspian is there, and this is obviously the Dawn Treader. That's the voyage. Ta-da. And they tell us at the beginning, which I wrote this down because I thought it might be important, also because I knew I wasn't going to remember, that the left side of the ship is called Port, and the right side of the ship is called Starboard. And throughout the book, they kept talking about the poop of the ship. What is that? So the poop is, if you imagine, like a pirate ship, which is kind of what this is. It's the back where there's a cabin and there's like a roof on top of the cabin. And on top of that is like the steering and the navigation. So like on a pirate ship, that would be like a wheel. But obviously this ship doesn't have a wheel. It has a tiller, which is kind of like how you, that long rod Mm -hmm. that adjusts the sail. So that, but the poop is basically that standing area where you navigate the ship from in the back. And is there, like, a specific reason why it's called the poop? It's French. What does it mean in French? I I don't speak French. Oh. Well, I figure since you knew it was French, maybe you knew why it was called that or why what it meant. Well, when I looked this up in advance, it just said it was poop from French. So... Well, I thought it was funny, and I the whole time I was like, why do they keep calling... Whatever that's supposed to be, the poop. Well, I didn't feel like looking up further where it came from. So, for context, Caspian is, he's been king for three years. He's sailing the Eastern Sea after the Lost Seven Lords. So if you remember, I brought this up last week, but when Caspian's uncle Miraz takes over, he kills off a bunch of Caspian's dad's friends, and then he sends Caspian's dad's seven best friends on a wild goose chase to go see what happens in the Eastern Sea. So they're going after them to either find them or avenge them. Then Reepicheep is actually coming because he wants to go to the end of the world because he thinks that at the end of the world he'll find Aslan's own country. And this is probably a good time to mention Eustace. So he is intolerable. He's whining and screaming and just incredibly annoying. Yeah, Eustace is extremely annoying, and I honestly was glad that it was Reepicheep, the best character, to whip him into shape, literally. Would you care to elaborate? So, when Eustace is first, like, starting to act up and be annoying once they're on the ship, I think one of the first nights he tries to steal water there, and they're rationing water at this point, Basically, but Eustace is feeling sick, and everyone's kind of starting to feel sick, but he's basically trying to do a selfish move and, like, go in the middle of the night to steal an extra, like, cup of water for himself. But Reepicheep is, like, keeping watch of the water. So he stops Eustace by literally, like, poking him with his tiny sword. And I just thought it was funny because he totally got what he deserved. Oh, yeah. I really like that you like Reepicheep. I wasn't sure if you were going to like him. So I'm really glad that you do. Yeah, 
I liked him for most of it. I mean, I did think he was a little extra at the end, but I did overall like his character. He was one of the highlight characters. He's just funny. Like, he's entertainment. Yeah. So that takes us to the Lone Islands, which are three Narnian islands. And once they get there, they're captured by slavers to be sold as slaves to Kalorman. And here, the Kalorman are directly described as being cruel people. So at that point, I would definitely call it racism or at least prejudice. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think prejudice is probably a good term. But just like making that direct relation to because like they're Calorman, like because of their race or whatever, they are this way. Yeah, they're very that, like prejudice, that bias. They love bringing up how much better Narnians are than Calormans. Like it kind of feels like almost like an exotic fetish. Like they're tall and powerful and wise and beautiful and cruel. Like it definitely feels like what an old British person would think about like wealthy people in the Middle East, like back in the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. like they're so sophisticated and we don't understand their barbaric culture, but they are powerful and they understand respect or something. You know, they would say something like creepy like that. <laughs> so they're there. Caspian actually gets bought <laughs> by someone who turns out to be, Lord Byrne. So that's actually one of the seven lords. Like, boom, they found one nice and easy. I mean, obviously, like, being sold into slavery, not easy at all. That's not what I mean. But, like, the fact that they found a lord, like, a first island they get to, like, fierce. Yeah, that one was pretty, like, it was quick. That was, like, that was something that Aslan did not have to help them out of that situation because it just worked out so easily for them. Well, capitalism helped them out of that one because Lord Byrne is rich. So... Caspian gives Lord Byrne a dukedom of the Lone Islands. He abolishes slavery, and they go get their friends. Nice and simple. And, like, dang, Eustace is really getting on everyone's nerves at this point because he was described as being so sulky that he couldn't even be sold as a slave because no one wanted to be around him. Like, you have to be a really high level of, like, annoying (laughs) to not even... For no one to want to even have you as a slave. Again, that felt like kind of like a British thing. Because, you know, anyone who knows a slavery operating in the United States, that would not have been allowed. He would not have been allowed to just, like, go sit in the corner and be given away. But... (sighs) So, then, Eustace keeps a very, very dramatic diary. And... It's like peak middle schooler. Like, no one likes me, and I am so much better than everyone else, but, like, they don't understand me. If only they would listen to me, my world would work so much better. And it's just, like, completely unrealistic of, like, he's like, everyone is so beastly to me. And I'm like, I don't think they're beastly. I just think you're annoying. Well, also, I mean, he ends up forgetting to continue writing, like, pretty early on so that ends unfortunately i just thought it was so entertaining like he's like caspian is a total demon blah 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 blah. so then we get to his big transformation so the next island he promptly runs off and gets lost because he's like i'm not gonna help them do work 
He hides in a dragon's lair because of the treasure. And the next morning, he wakes up and he has become the dragon. Aisha, how quickly did you figure out that Eustace was a dragon? I didn't realize that he was a dragon, honestly, until Eustace did. Because also at this point, after he finds out he's a dragon, I wasn't really focused on that. I was more focused on the literal cannibalism. Because as soon as he like walks out of the cave, he eats a dead dragon as a dragon. Like I was too disgusted by that to think about anything else. Oh, yeah. It's, that's always gross. And there's even that line that's like... It might sound weird, but it's actually perfectly normal. And I'm like, no, pretty gross. And then while he's a dragon, he becomes a good person. He decides that being all alone as a dragon sucks. And he wants to be nice to everyone now. So he basically helps them rebuild the ship and kill animals and starts being kind. And now that he's kind, he ends up meeting Aslan, of course, because... That line just shows up whatever. And then Eustace is essentially baptized by Aslan as he turns Eustace back into a person. Do you want to talk about that more? Because this is one of the most obvious Christian images in the book. And honestly, I never thought about it that way. But then I was, you said baptized. I was like, dang, Charles, that was stupid. It's right there. Like dunking him in the water. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he literally dunks him in the water. I mean, honestly, the description was kind of gross because he has to, like, tear his skin off, like, a hundred times, like, Aslan, like, tells Eustace to tear his skin off, but he can't on his own, like, Aslan has to help him, and again, this whole idea of, like, Aslan being a lion, like, I don't know, it's just really hard to imagine it, like, not being really weird, or, I mean, it was already weird, but the fact that he's a lion makes it even weirder. But even though this was a pretty obvious Christian image, this one didn't really bother me that much because, like we kind of said, Eustace's character pretty much sucked the whole time before this happened. So this, like, Aslan coming into his life actually, like, did change him for the better. Like, kind of, like, in the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, how Aslan helps Edmund, like, see the right way as, like, and Edmund was really annoying, so it, like, is helpful Whereas I just felt a little differently about him a little later on. Yeah. So if you're missing it, baptism is obviously when you enter the church, you're doused in water and you become a Christian, depending on the denomination. And Eustace is, quote unquote, becoming a Christian now that he's a good person. Like he's entering into the church of Aslan and he's reborn in this pool that he literally has to shed his skin and be reborn in. And then we find out he was wearing the arm ring of Lord Arctesian, so this is Lord number two, which leads to some, it leads me to some conclusion. What did it make you think about Asia? I honestly missed this part. I have no idea what you're talking about. So could you please explain? Like, I know he had the ring on his arm, <sighs> but I don't think I made the, like, I think I missed the part where they were like, it was the Lords and what does that mean? It's one of the lords. But, like, I always made me think that maybe the ring, the the other dragon, was the Lord Octesian. Probably. And he'd become the dragon himself. Like, it was kind of like when one dragon dies, the person that, like, sees it becomes the next one. Or, again, the dragon could have eaten Octesian. But it could be either one. And so I was just like, hmm. 
I wonder what it is. And I wonder if Asia has any thoughts, but clearly. Well, also, did we get an explanation as to why Eustace even turned into a dragon? It was just because he was being bad? Well, that's what the thing is. That's my question. Is it like maybe he was putting on the arm ring? Like maybe the arm ring is evil or like, you know, like, or it's just he was being bad, but we don't know. And that's why I was asking you, because to me, it always made sense that putting on the arm ring turned him into the dragon. Yeah. Or I was thinking like, just like the dragon died and, and him entering into like the cave with all the treasures was like a large enough sin that like you take on the dragon's role, like something like that. I have no idea. Well, that's why I wanted to know what you thought. But anyway, this takes us to, well, there's another island, Burn Island, but it's nothing. It's just like a bunch of ashes and they just slide away. And then they go to Gold Island, which has a pool. And in the pool, there's another one of the lords. So there's three. And he's become a solid gold statue. So they realize that everything that goes into the pool becomes gold. And Caspian's like, I'm claiming this as Narnian. We got to keep it a secret. And Edmund is like, oh, hell nah. I outrank you, Caspian. And Caspian's like, I'm going to fight you. And Edmund's like, I'll take you in a fight. And then Lucy's like, oh, my God, don't fight. And then Aslan just walks by. Because, you know, he's always there. Do you like my retelling? Your retelling was entertaining. Very uh, good reenactment. But so Aslan just kind of like shows up and then kind of everybody like doesn't remember what they were talking about. And so I was like, did Aslan wipe everyone's memories? Like while they're on, they end up naming this island Death Water Island. Or did he just like make them see reason? But they seemed like confused. So I don't know. It reminds me of like, you know, like the men in black, like they spray you and like you forget what's happening, something like that. It was just kind of weird. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I never thought that. As a kid, I just thought that like he makes them like they see him and that's a reminder to like not kill each other. Also, like for me as a child, I was always like, um, can we not do this fight? right next to the pool where like if one of you falls in you become a gold statue i was like we can have it out but like not next to the pool (laughs) but when you read it when you say that and also when i read it this time i was like it kind of seems like he kind of like makes them forget what the island does but that's stupid why put an island in your world or aslan that you don't want people to know about and or at least that when good guys find out about it, you're just going to block their memory. Like, that's dumb. Yeah, which is also why, like, again, why I start to, like, <laughs> I question Aslan's intentions. Because, like, I think that it's kind of wrong that he, if he, like, actually wipes their memory. Because, like, it takes away their agency. Like, they can no longer make an informed decision because they don't have the full information. Like, Aslan literally stole it from them. So, like, yeah. this... I don't like it. I So yeah, it's just this is like an ex- basically an example of why he's just really was starting to rub me the wrong way at this point cuz I just feel like sometimes his things can be like a little manipulative. Like cuz in that case like it wasn't even like I feel like before it's like he shows his face like you said it's a reminder, but based on the reaction it wasn't like oh as in like we have to do what's right. It was like we don't even know what's going on. Like what were we even talking about? So that was just weird. Yeah. Yeah, I take your point. I was, I, I, I think that you might be right that he's like taking away their memory, which is really sketch. That's how I would describe Aslan, sketchy. Anyway, 
So then after this, they go to the island full of invisible people and they end up forcing Lucy to go into this spell room and read a spell so that all the people can turn visible again. And during all this, my biggest question was, why did Lucy have to go find the magic book alone? They said that like it had to be a little girl who like read the spell, like that's the only way it would work. But like, I didn't understand why she had to like physically go up to the room alone like why couldn't she have like taken Edmund or Cassian like with her like I don't know I just didn't feel like that was explained it's not explained I always have wondered that I'm like I've always wondered that every time I mean it ends up not being dangerous but I just thought that was weird but so when she's up there Aslan ends up showing up and basically tells Lucy off for spying on her friends because, well, first, for context, she's, like, reading this spell book and, like, there's this bunch of spells and, like, there's this one spell that, like, can make you, like, the most beautiful person in the world. And Lucy is, like, imagining that happening. But Aslan kind of, like, comes into her or she sees Aslan's face in the book as she's reading so that she, like, takes a step back so, like, she doesn't do it. But then she comes across a different spell where you can overhear like your friends and she like does read the spell immediately because she's like I don't want Aslan to interrupt me this time which was kind of weird but then and so then he ends up scolding her after the fact for doing it like when he physically shows up in the room yeah and then he vanishes right afterwards like he's like see you later I'll see you soon which I'm glad you mentioned that because this is like I think where I'm starting to really get annoyed at him because I have a note related to that specifically So, like I said, I still think he's annoying, but I don't know. At this point, I was just, you know, maybe Lucy should be able to make her own decision, her own decisions without Aslan's face just popping up everywhere. But also because he's always keeping so many secrets, saying he'll tell her later, but he never does. And I just think that he says that to keep her around, to keep her following him. And like, why is he so mysterious? Which, what Charles just mentioned, I have the quote, which Aslan says, we shall meet again soon. And then Lucy responds, please, Aslan, what do you call soon? And Aslan says, I call all time soon. And then he proceeds to vanish into thin air. Like, what does that even mean? And again, why, like, I was like, he's literally acting like some mysterious magician. Like, he's like, I call all time soon. And then, like, throws a puff of smoke (laughs) appears up and he's gone. Like, what is this? So, I don't know. To me, it's just like, is he, like, trying to be this air of mystery to, like, keep people around? Like, so they continue having to come back? Like, you know what I mean? Constantly drawing you in for more? I don't know. It just seems kind of shady. Maybe a scam. I don't know. Yeah, I take your point. I mean, also, yeah, I I mean, he's not wrong about don't spy on your friends because now you've prejudged them, but, like, in that particular instance, but you're right that, like, part of being a good person, not just being a good Christian, but being a good person is, like, making those decisions for yourself, not because you're, like, doing it to please the church. But, you know, that's just, at least that's my understanding of faith and just humanity. You know, we don't do good things for credit. We do good things because they are good. Which, yeah, I'm not getting that vibe at all from uh, Aslan. No, because he constantly keeps reprimanding them (laughs) in this book, particularly. 
So this reveals the duffel pods, and this is, so they're on this island, and this is where they get the magical map, which is honestly the coolest thing in the whole book. Like, it's a magical map that updates as they discover everything. And there's more on the duffel pods, but honestly, I don't really think we need to get into them unless we're going to talk about the whole thing. Like, I don't think we need to. Um, So I think we can move on to Dark Island. So this is where they find another lord, which if you're counting is lord number four out of seven. And the island is basically just a dark mass, and it's a place where all of your worst dreams come to life. So, scary. Yeah, so actually before they even go in, they see this darkness. And this was actually done pretty well in the movie. It's done a little differently in the movie, but... I think it's handled pretty well. I mean, they kind of made it like more of like a, well, I don't know. I don't want to describe it badly, but they kind of make it like, there's like this kind of shadow that they keep seeing every island they go to until finally the shadow like grows and attacks them, which works. Oh, wow. And it's kind of like black and green, very like Harry Potter vibes. I, I was going to say that like while reading this, I was, I've never seen this movie and I was like really curious to see like how some things would play out like visually yeah because since they did like go to so many different kinds of places like i was really curious like i i am kind of looking forward to seeing this movie some of it i remember really distinctly some of it i don't remember at all but i think it was pretty well done in the movie because it get kind of made this dark island like more of a a big plot point so they but before they go in we have the an excellent reap-a-cheap line. So they're deciding whether or not to go into the darkness at all. And they're like, no man would be a coward for not going in. There's nothing wrong with that. And reap-a-cheap is like, it is my good fortune then not to be a man. Because he's like, we should go in and be brave. And he like kind of basically guilds them in. They go in, they get the Lord. Amazing. And then everything goes wrong because their dreams, they kind of just like start to recognize that their dreams could come true. So they're rowing, trying to get out like crazy. But of course, there's really nothing to fear because Lucy prays to Aslan and he saves them. So, you know, maybe it is worth it to have an an annoying, mysterious friend like him since he just can get you out of these situations in a snap. Yeah, and then it actually eliminates the darkness altogether. So this is a pretty heavy-handed moment. Like, prayer ends up lighting their way through darkness and hopelessness. Yep, which this then takes them to their last island, which is the beginning of the end of the world. And three people are magically asleep at the end of a full table. They're the remaining three lords. And they describe them as they've been sleeping for so long that, like, all of their hair and their facial hair, like, it's grown out so much that it's, like, intertwined with, like, all of the other people's. So, like, all their hair is, like, tangled together, and it's, like, covering the table, and it's down the floor. And I just know that Charles was grossed out by all of that intertwined hair, because, like, Charles hates hair. So, like, pieces of hair and stuff that's not yours. Yeah, I've always been grossed out by it. Also, I can't remember how this scene worked in the movie, and I... Like... So these, the Narnia books, I have very vivid images in my head of what they're supposed to look like because I grew up as a child reading them. And I think that helps that, like, because I was a child reading them, I 
have a particular image in my mind. Like, as a child, I was just more imaginative. So I can, like, fully draw a map of how this island looks on, in my head and, like, the color scheme, the shape. Like, I know exactly what it looks like. I have no end. Even though I've seen the movie, my image in my head takes precedence. So clearly this could not have been that, like, you know how sometimes when you see a movie of a book, like, what the movie did becomes your memory of it. Because it's what you visualize. Like, you know, I visualize Emma Watson when I think of Hermione. Yes, but you're saying, does your own image, though, take precedence over the movie? Correct. I have no idea what was in the movie. And like, Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. So I can't... I, I usually, really for me, it's for... I was going to say, usually for me, it's whatever I saw first. Like, if I read the book first, what I read is what I'm going to imagine and remember more. If I saw the movie first, I'll probably remember that more if I read the book after. Like, because it's hard to, like, separate it if you've seen the movie already. Like, you're automatically going to kind of compare it to the movie as you're reading the book. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, I'm trying to think. Like, a lot of the Hunger Games stuff, they actually... My imagination was wrong, personally. Like, it didn't actually match with what the book was saying. So a lot of the Hunger Games, I think, like, I have both in my head because it's my idea plus what the movie did because the movies were so accurate to, like, what the book should have been. It de- Yeah, it definitely depends. Like, I don't have that with every series, but certain ones, like... Harry like- Potter, a lot of it was so exactly what I remembered, especially the first few books. Like, it was so actually what I imagined. So it's kind of hard to separate. But then, like, once, like, sets start changing, it gets a little tricky because, like, the burrow changes a couple times throughout the movies. So you're like, well, that's not realistic at all. Um, I mean, not that the witchcraft is either. But anyway. So I don't remember this scene in the movie. And this is a super, super, super strong Christian image. This is... So they're at this long table. It's full of food. And a woman comes out and she's like, there's food enough for everybody. It'll fill up every year, day. This is Aslan's table. There's food enough for all. Like this is very much the vibe of like the fishes and the loaves that fed like 50 people. And this part I've always thought was super awkward the stone knife that killed Aslan in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is just there. They just left it on the table as a reminder, which I think is so morbid. Which that's how the lords fell asleep, right? By touching it? Yes, they touched the knife and they were going to, like, fight. Because one of them was like, let's keep going. One of them was like, let's stay here. And the other one was like, let's go back to Narnia. And obviously they're not supposed to touch the knife. And that's why they fell asleep. Yep. And so then to the food, the daughter, the woman, says that they can eat it. It's not enchanted. It's not what put them to sleep. <laughs> and here we go. She is the daughter of the star, Ramandu. And he, <laughs> she fully says, because they're like, we want to know if we can eat this food. And she's like, you can't know. You can only believe. Which is like, that is the whole mystery of faith. Yeah, that was definitely very heavy-handed. And then <laughs> the daughter starts singing, and all I could think was, oh, God, not more singing. I can't take any more. 
Well, it doesn't last that long. The table refills. Some birds come and eat it. And then they gets refilled. It's just kind of gets like a little mumbo jumbo. Like she's like, my dad's a star. And he's like, you already met a star. And he's like, I'm getting younger every day until I can go back and be a star again. And the wizard on the Duffel Island, he's a retired star for being a cheater. Like I was like, oh my God, this part is always like, this feels like word salad. I'm always like, we need to get off this island. <laughs> so, but I did. Ha ha ha. So they're going to go set sail east. They're going to keep going to the end. So at the beginning of the end of the world, they're going to go to the end of the world. They leave one person behind, which, you know, they totally mess up that guy. But whatever. Then I found a continuity catch, a world-building error, if you will. So do you remember in the last book when Peter writes a letter to Mira saying, let's have single combat? Yes. Okay. So... Do you remember he dictates the letter to, he dictates that letter to Dr. Cornelius? Uh-huh. And in it, he's like, signed Peter, blah, 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 on this day in the month 13 and the month green roof. So Narnia has their own months, but the people are like, we could just spend winter on Ramandu's Island and then go back after January, February. And I was like, January, February, you don't have January and February in Narnia. I found an error. And it was one of the Narnians who said that not one, like not Edmund or Lucy. Yes. And you're sure Peter said that the month was a different name. It was just in that, it just in the last book. Yes. In the previous book. Well, I, yeah, I honestly don't remember Peter saying a date. Like, I definitely well, wasn't paying I mean, attention at that point. A times. If you disagree or I'm missing something, let me know. Let us know. If we are, if I'm wrong, let me know. But I caught an error. I'm right. But if I'm wrong, let me know. Well, also, because this isn't so, supposed to take place, obviously, that long after Prince Caspian. It's three years after Prince Caspian. In Narnian time? Yes. And what about for the real world time? Just a year. year. Okay. So, anyway, they are going to go to the end of the world, and everyone in Narnia is effectively a flat earther, because they're all like, when we hit the end of the world, it's going to drop off. And they're like, what? Your world is a round ball? Oh my god, I want to go. And they're like, it's not that exciting. And then they're going. And then the water gets sweet. And I always assumed that the water was like physically sweet, like tasted like sugar. But then I was like, well, sometimes we call fresh water sweet, even though it just is like not salty. Did you think it was like sweet, sweet? Or do you think it was just not salty? Oh, I was definitely thinking it was like sugar water because I would never describe normal water as sweet. I know, but I'm saying, you know, how we call fresh water sweet sometimes. Like when it's. No, I've never, I've never said that and I've never heard <laughs> that. But okay. I don't not believe you. I've just personally never experienced that. So that would not have crossed my mind. Okay. Well, then we can go with my idea that I had a, as a kid that the water was like actually sweet, like ice cream. So the water gets sweet. And we mentioned, didn't mention this earlier, but Reepicheep, like, heard a rhyme when he was a child, like, over his crib, crib. I'm not going to say it, but basically, like, 
when the water gets sweet, there is the utter yeast. So this is when it kind of goes off the rails. So the water gets sweet, like sugar, like syrup. Then the water is filled with lilies, like white sea lilies. And this is when you know C.S. Lewis, like he went off his rocker. Like he probably was on shrooms because he's like, end of the world. They're going to meet a star. The star has an army of pet birds that eat a refilling table of food every day. One of them brings him a firestone. He eats it. And then that takes a year off his life so that he can go back into the sky one day and just be a star in the sky. Then the water is going to taste like sugar. And then it's going to be filled with flowers. And flowers that represent death. Because obviously lilies represent death. And it's like, that's, that's how we're going to end Narnia. Okay. That was a lot. Um... Didn't you think it was crazy? And then there's, like, seahorse people underneath the ground, and they're like, they look violent. We better not talk to them. It goes crazy. I'm not going to lie. This was definitely at the point where I was waiting for the book to be over. I was like, where, when are Lucy and Edwin returning to the real world? Because they always end up going back. So, because this was, like, the two last chapters. I mean, I like this part, but I was like, I like it, but I'm like, whoa, we're just, like, <laughs> crazy. I was more willing to accept the one-legged monopods. But... So then, you know, we get all this, and, of course, my least favorite character at this point, Aslan, shows up, and he tells Caspian that he has to go back to Narnia, and that the Earth people and Reap, or Reapacheep, have to keep going. So Reapacheep ends up rowing away in his boat, and he fully goes to Aslan's country, which is obviously heaven, and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. And as always, we can see Aslan is just always coming in and forcing people to do what he wants them to do. And then we just go fully biblical because the cousins run into a little lamb. And the lamb is like, here, I have fish for you. You can eat. And I'm like, wow, again, the fishes and the loaves. We already got it once this reading. Yeah, that was very odd. And then the lamb becomes Aslan. I'm like, how did we do that visually? (laughs) Of course it does. Just like pops out. I'm like, psych, it's me, bruh. And <laughs> so he becomes Aslan and he tells them that they can get into Aslan's country from every country in the world. So clearly Aslan's country is heaven. Like Yeah, so they can get into heaven, maybe, but he does end up breaking Lucy and Edmund's hearts by telling them that they don't get to come back to Narnia anymore. And this is one of the moments where, like, he really said, like, if you had any doubts of, like, the imagery, this is where Aslan goes very hardcore because he's like, you'll get to know me in your world. I have a different name there. You came here to this world so that you could know me better in your world. Like, that is so, like, that's the whole thesis of the series. Like, that's where that idea that, like, you go to Narnia to learn to be a better person comes from because of this line. And that's it. That's the end of the book. What did you think? What do you think of the ending, and then what do you think of the whole book? Well, the ending... I don't really know if I have anything to say about just, like, the ending in general, but I... Or the ending specifically... You don't have anything to say about that Christian image at the end? I mean, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I think it was was heavy-handed, and... That goes to my whole idea of how I'm feeling with the series, so I'll just go into that. 
for this book, I've liked, I like the ongoing adventure of this book. I did think this was the most exciting because we got, the characters got to go, like, experience so many different things. So I felt like I was enjoying it as I went along. But at this point, yes, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not going to like this series. Or, obviously, I haven't loved it since we've been reading it. But I just know that, like, this would never be a series that I could like. Because, to me, like, this is just, like, clear Christian, like, propaganda. And I just don't agree with it. Like, it's very clearly, like, trying to indoctrinate children into believing in something. Like, even Aslan saying, like, oh, you'll believe me in the other worlds, it's, like, but that's not real. Like, I don't know. I just don't really like it. I, it really rubs me the wrong way. And, like, how we read his Dark Materials with Philip Pullman, like, how he was against that. I'm definitely more on that side. So, for me, that is why, like, so far, like, my impression, like, there's just no way I could be, like, this is my favorite series. Oh, yeah. I basically inherently disagree with, like, the background of it, like, the whole premise of it. Yeah. But it's not, like, a, obviously, it's still, like, a classic and everything, but I do think that this seems like it's just it's just a bit too much for me. I can't wait to read it with my nieces and nephews. Like, see, absolutely not. I'll be reading it to your children. Let's be real. Uh, you will not be. I just because also it's like, what about when they're like, who is Aslan? Like, <laughs> I just. It just seems a little bit too brainwashy for me. And also the idea of, like, how we said before of, like... I think... Maybe at the beginning of the series, it was more like Aslan was helping them. But I feel like it's slowly becoming, like, he's kind of taking away... I think that also... The kids, like, choices. Like, it's basically, like... It might not be as bad if... You might not think it was as brainwashy if you didn't have some understanding of Christian, like... But I'm saying if... Beliefs. Like, I think that if your children grew up in a situation, like... As, you know, without, like, making them, like, go to church and, like, have, like, strong understanding of, like, the Bible and biblical stories, they might just read it. But I still, but see, I would, so if they just read it and they didn't get, like, oh, this is, like, representing Christianity, I would be, like, I think that they should be questioning Aslan's intentions. Like, why does he keep following these children around and telling them what to do? Like, who gave him that power? Like, that's why I'm saying of, like, that. That's, I mean, good. Create critical thinkers in your But yeah, but I feel like the the books were written to know, make kids be like, I believe in Aslan, therefore I can believe in God because Aslan does all good and like I don't have to choose anything because he'll just tell me what to do. Like, I don't know. That's the vibe I get from the books. Like, that is what I feel like C.S. Lewis's point of the book was to be like, have your children read this. So if they're like, why do we have to believe in God? They'll be like, well, I'm too young to understand like what God is. So I'll believe in this magical lion, which is basically the same thing. Like, I wonder what you'll think about Aslan in the next two books. I'm interested to hear. Because he's definitely, like, popping up. Like, I forgot. He basically shows up on every island. Yeah. While they're here. Which is not what I remembered. But, like, obviously, like, it was there. But, you know, I I didn't remember him being as active as he was. Because he fully was, like, every island. Like, show up, bye. Show up, bye. Which was pretty annoying. And... Yeah, I was also, I mean, it kind of just goes back to your comment of um, before saying how being a good person should just be about, like, making good choices. Like, it's not about doing it for, like, a reward or, like, not facing punishment. Whereas I feel like what I'm getting in this book now is, like, the kids are doing the right thing, the quote-unquote morally right thing, because they don't want to be, they don't want to disappoint Aslan. Like, 
not necessarily like they're not afraid of punishment, but like they don't want to disappoint him. Like they're doing it for him as opposed to just like knowing this is right and this is wrong. Like, I don't know. I take your point. Yeah, I take your point. I always get sad when I finish this book because Lucy and Edmund are definitely the best. Like they're just so fun because Edmund has character growth and Lucy's obviously the cute one. So I'm always like sad when I get to this one because I'm like, oh, they're not going to be in the next book. But it's okay. They'll be in the last book. So I think this is a good place to finish it, don't you? Yeah. Okay, we're in the final stretch. We're going to read the second to last book for next week, which is number six, The Silver Chair, which I'm pretty sure is my favorite in the series. I think based on what you've enjoyed, the elements you've enjoyed, I think you'll enjoy this one as well because it's going to be different again. And also, I there's not that much Aslan, if I remember correctly. So hopefully <laughs> you'll be able to enjoy the elements that you do enjoy. And I don't remember this one being particularly Christian, but we'll see. I might change our mind as soon as we start reading. <laughs> we shall see. So anyway, if you do read along, go ahead and read all the silver chair for next week. And as always, if you have predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asia.bunia on Instagram and TikTok. What was the thing we asked the listeners to let us know about was it do we think Deathwater Island got like did Aslan wipe their memories or did he just make them see reason or was that it or something else I think it was something else too and I think it was something it, else. it was something you said oh it was the continuity that do you think that it was with it Peter said that it was oh yes roof whatever was it a continuity catch? You said the months were called instead of our months let us know if I caught a continuity catch or if I'm just being at the center of attention and speaking of me being the center of attention, if you want to follow me, I'm at seashells on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this, make sure you rate and review our podcast, share it with your friends, and of course, check out the other awesome podcasts that we have within our Nerd Party Network family. And subscribe to ours, the best one, so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe. We... It's just giving me a dirty look, but we are the best podcast on in the world, right? Sure. I wasn't talking about our network. I'm saying that we're the best podcast ever, including my bad. Let us know if we're your favorite podcast ever and you think we're the best. Anyway, as always, hit the subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you all next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.